gentlemen, boys and girls, dogs and cats everywhere, welcome to another Guitar Wank episode, podcast episode. I am your host, Troy McCubbin. Thank you for taking the time out of your life to spend it with us. We hope we, we bring you nothing but joy, love and inspiration. Bullshit! Um, anyway, it's a big day in America today. Here we are, Tuesday, what is it? The whatever date it is you know what date it is i don't have to tell you but uh big voting day in america so hopefully they can get that right um i can't vote because i'm an aussie and uh i need to get citizenship anyway it'll happen eventually one day uh besides that we have a fantastic episode today i'm super excited a few things to talk about first uh this is episode number 46.96 is that right? No, 44.96. No, what is it? 99.46. I wasn't even close on any of those. 99.46. Um, clearly, I have all my notes in front of me, as you can tell. Uh, when are we going to get to 100? God, when will this madness end? I don't know. I really hope you guys really enjoyed the uh, the Joe Bonamassa episodes. That was fantastic. It was so great to meet Joe and hang. Um, but we have no exception today, ladies and gentlemen. This one's a big one, and we'll get to that just in a second. I wanted to uh, give a shout-out to a good mate of ours and a, and a, a listener. Well, I think he's a listener. <laughs> I know he has been in the past. Michael Ross. G'day, mate. Just wanted to say a big shout-out. Michael's out in Nashville, but Michael has recently done a few um, uh, stories on Sir Bruce. Sir Bruce Foreman. Um, our lovely Bruce. So you should go check him out and support. Go to uh, Guitar Modern. Guitar Modern. That's modern with an E on the end, right? Or M-O-D-E-R-N-E. Okay, Guitar M-O-D-E-R-N-E. I'm rolling my R's so Americans can understand me. Um, yeah, so go guitar. I'll put this link up on um, Facebook or wherever and you can pass it around. But go check it out. Michael did an amazing uh, story on Bruce and uh, his uh, junkyard duo and everything else Bruce is doing. And I believe he's got some stuff coming out. And I mean, Bruce is a celebrity at the moment. He's doing a um, guitar player. He's doing this. And I think another magazine, dare I say Vintage Guitar or something? I don't know. Don't quote me on that. But anyway, he's doing it all. He's probably in Modern Drummer, for all I know. He's a superstar now, Bruce. Uh, he's got really exciting news, too, for you to share with you guys. It's, it's huge. And we are all, I mean, all of us are going to benefit from this. This is like, this is huge. This is kind of a dream for all of us to come true. So I'm very, very excited. And I'm going to let Bruce... Uh, disclose that super exciting news to you guys next episode so very excited to uh yeah to share that news with you bruce will uh next time we are all together uh so go check out that big thanks to michael ross uh for writing the articles i think he did a lot of the article writing there so obviously a talented bloke thanks michael and he's a good bloke we've had beers and that in nashville uh, I think I'm going to Nashville for Thanksgiving. I'm going to be out in Nashville. So if you're in Nashville and maybe we can catch up over Thanksgiving week or whatever. I know it's a crazy time, family, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, we'll work it out. Um, another thing, what we've got the competition, the 10 questions. If you haven't done that, seek them out. They're on one of the episodes. Bruce read them out. Email it in. 
you hopefully will be a guest on the show and we'll do Bruce's game show. I still have no idea what's going on with that, but it's, it's going to happen. Um, but the big news, what I'm super excited about today's episode, one of my favorite guitar players on the planet. I think this guy is a badass. He's such a monster on so many levels. Um, he's one of those, I think there's only a few cats in the world that maybe three or four notes and you know exactly who it is. I think this guy is one of them. Uh, he writes great songs, an amazing guitar player. He has monster tone. I love his tone. I think it's amazing. And I was very blessed to have his Dumble amplifier here in my studio for a few hours. Dare I say, I did plug it in. And um, <laughs> I hope Robin doesn't mind that. But I did plug it in for a little bit. I didn't touch the knobs. I just plugged it in. And um, I sounded like me, which was extremely disappointing. But the tone was there. It did sound really freaking good. It was... It's got to be one of the most famous amplifiers in the world, right? Robin Ford's Dumble Amplifier. And he gets into it on the show. We talk about that. It was such an amazing experience um, to sit and hang with Bruce Foreman and Robin Ford. Uh, <laughs> Robin walks in with pizza. I mean, this is one of my heroes as a guitar player. I mean, I just listened everything from Talk to Your Daughter, all the Blue Line stuff. I mean... Robin's just the man. I, I love his guitar playing. So um, sit back and enjoy this. We've got a bunch of Robin. So I know you guys are going to really enjoy this. Remember, if you feel inclined, go to guitarwank.com. Uh, sign up, subscribe. If you want a T-shirt, a mug, a cap, leave a donation. We love donations because this is a non-profit organization. Uh, maybe you have a product or an idea you want to share with all the Guitar Wank listeners. We go throughout the world and we have a lot of, lot of listeners out there who are very interested in new products and uh, want to support uh, your ideas. So maybe you have an album that you want to share. Uh, any of that stuff, write us at guitarwank at gmail.com and get in touch with us and we can sort out advertising all that kind of stuff uh and other than that just sit back and enjoy and we will see you all next week thank you i think i think that's it yeah that's it thanks yeah keep on yeah
talk to your daughter. You should talk to your daughter. You should talk to your daughter. She not made me love her, and I ain't gonna leave her be. Oh, thank you. <laughs> awesome. And do help yourself to the pizza. Okay. No worries, man. Whew. Yeah, that was that was good pizza. I haven't had pizza like that for a while, actually. I'll just cover it. You just yeah. jump right in there. No worries. Thanks, mate. Did you want a um? I would. A, a beverage? I would love we... it. Let's go for it, man. And I do. I do put the stuff on the rocks now. Me too. Yeah. YouTube. This uh, I spent some time in Scotland just about a year ago, mm -hmm. a couple of weeks. We traveled all around, uh -huh. of course, tasted a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I just love this stuff, you know. And and, and I do piss them off because I put ice. In. Oh, I like they don't want to hear that. No, <laughs> one little like little cube maybe, you know. But yeah. this is like there's like you know it ranges from like super peaty to like real mild. You know, and this particular oh, thanks, brand is like kind of right in the middle. You know, it's got some of the PD thing going, but it's not just like licking out the inside of a horse stall, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so you say. And which we've all been there and done that. Yeah, I hate really. it when I do that. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's, you know, you've done it. <laughs> Mind if I, uh. Please. Yeah. This is some Thank good you. shit, though. You'll like it. This is, now, th this is what, from where? Cragmore. This is Speyside. So this is like, uh, it's not the northern part of Isla, you know, and it's not the highlands. It's like to the west. Okay. Like Oban and Cragmore. It's mm -hmm. like the western part of Scotland. Nice. They kind of, they kind of are sort of in between. The, those is real. Is that how you pronounce it, Oban? Oban. That's how they pronounced it. Well, it does it for me. Yeah. That was always kind of my second choice, too. I, I drink Glenlivet 12. Oh, okay. Well, oh, yeah. Glenlivet's Glen Glen great, yeah, man. man. Well, you may like this as much. The Glenlivet 12 is, I was told by a friend who was, you know, had a, he was a member of a Scotch club, and he got things, you know, sent to him. Uh-huh. Uh, cheers. Cheers. Thank you. Cheers, mate. Cheers. Pleasure. Cheers. Thank you, John. Pleasure, mate. Yeah, I think you'll like this one, too. I can tell. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I can tell already. Yeah, that's nice. That works but for me. Uh, he told me that Glenlivet is like, like it's that at the very bottom of when they start rating. Uh -huh. It's like the right last one or the first one, right. depending on how you look at it. Right, <laughs> right. So it, well, you it's know, again, just above like Glenfiddich would be. Right. They don't even rate it. Right, right. Yeah. But you know the. Um, 
there's this place in Edinburgh. Mm-hmm. Like you go into this, it's right next to the castle. Hmm. It's this big building, mm-hmm. old kind of, it's like an outbuilding of the castle. And it's called the World of Scotch Whiskey. And I swear to God, it's so out. You go in and the first part, the whole first floor is like a Disneyland amusement ride. <laughs> and it's like that, remember that teacup ride where you sit and you yeah. spin around? Well, these are like, whiskey stills copper stills you sit in the still and you go around and it tells the story of scotch whiskey oh you're kidding and how you they take make a ride it. you don't walk right you take this ride and you kind of spin around and this old scottish dude who looks kind of like a cross between john muir and mark twain or something you know and he's telling you the story of how they get the peaty flavor and how they make it and you know and all the history behind it and it's all it's this long you know yeah. drawn out thing yeah and then you get to the other end and then they give this lecture about the various regions with all these pictures and you have like scratch and sniff it's like for the highland malts this is what you know you go for this is like the fragrance the aroma and da 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 and they give you a little taste of each one mm-hmm. and this is the space side and this is the uh isla you know and and you taste it all and then you know like depends on what ticket you buy you get a tasting afterwards mm-hmm. and like of course i bought the big ticket so sure. I, I really i was Naturally. feeling good when i got out <laughs> but uh, and then they have the world's <clears throat> biggest collection of scotch mm-hmm. Damn. and and i mean there, I, I don't know if you like you know, you know you probably had a liquor store when you were a kid that you could go buy shit in you know and like you bought cheap ass rot gut scotch you know or something that shit's in this collection too i mean <laughs> oh, i saw really? some like dawson scotch i remember buying that when i was passport yeah I mean, they got that's it. The war, that's the like, ah. You know, I mean, but no, I'm mean, all that shit we bought when we were in high school and rot gut, you know, I mean, it's it's even in this collection. I wonder why. Well, well they, they just they wanted, wanted to have everything that would have ever been made and all called that. Scotch whiskey. Mm-hmm. And then you get out and you're just tasting and then you kind of get back out in the Edinburgh streets and it's really, oh, man, it's totally worth doing. Totally worth doing. You don't have to drink the shitty stuff, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, no. For, for the tasting, it's like, like, they'll give you a good one of this region and this region and this region and this region. You know, that's what the tasting is. It's sort of like yeah. taking a tour around Scotland with the yeah. various. And they suggest, you know, you start with this, you go to this, you go to this. Cause I'm sure they you have one figure of the, it out. Like, yeah, if you have one of the real peaty ones, it kind of just blows you away. You the can't really taste gone. anything yeah. after that. Do they, they have anything to clean the palate? Uh, yeah, they had bread and cheese and yeah. all sorts of shit. Mm-hmm. But so it's kind of like the wine tasting. Yeah, yeah. Right? It was it was just so cool to, you know, be there. And, of course, they don't call it scotch. They call it whiskey. Yeah. Whiskey. <laughs> you know, it's their whiskey. Yeah. You know? I mean, they, they call our whiskey bourbon, and they call Irish whiskey Irish whiskey, but their yeah. whiskey is just whiskey. Just whiskey, yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. That's what I'm going to do from now on. It's a much cooler word. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whiskey. Good word. Want to drink some whiskey? Damn Hell right. yeah. Yeah, so it's, <laughs> this is really good. There's kind of a sweetness to it, too, that's really yes, nice. Yes, there is. Well. A little richer. I guess we should start. We started. Oh, we started? Yeah. Well, welcome Robin Ford, man. Damn. I'm Thank so you. glad to get you on this show. It <laughs> yeah, only took this us is really cool. Well, 99.47 or something. Long time. Massive fan. Yeah. Grew up, listen to all your stuff, mate. Well, Love oh, the blue line, all that stuff. It was just so fucking badass. You're, you're one of my favorites and um, really, really cool to have you on the show. Well, thank, thank you, you so much. I'm delighted. So, Enjoying it already. It, it'll, it'll be downhill from now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
You can always pull the plug whenever you want. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I'm sure it'll be quite the opposite. So you're in town playing a bunch of shows. Are you in town long or is it a quick trip? Well, um, I'm here uh, to uh, rehearse a group called Ching Chi, which uh, is made up of uh, musicians I've worked with in different situations for many, many years. Vinnie Kaliud is the drummer. Jimmy Haslip is the bassist um, from the Yellow Jackets yep. group. And uh, Larry Golding's on B3 Organ. Oh, cool. Who is yeah. just, in my opinion, I can't think of a musician that I admire more. Brilliant musician. Yeah, you should, I do. You should play with him. Well, I do play with him. So. Okay. Yeah. Well, there you go. Oh, yeah. Larry's great. Well, I'm jealous because I don't. Yeah. I've recorded <laughs> with him. Yeah. I play with him. This will be my first time, and I'm really excited about it. And... Um, so we leave for Tokyo day after tomorrow. Oh, wow. Yeah, we have one re rehearsal tomorrow. And I spent the day today writing out music that I just wanted to make sure the rehearsal went well tomorrow. Is you going to do any uh, USA dates with the band? No. I mean, it's really, you know, it, it was always a studio band in that we just, this, uh, Mike Varney from Shrapnel Records just gave us some money and said, make a record. Oh, so um, do you, do you, have you made a record since yeah, then? Did you we, just we've make We've made one? four. Oh, you made four. Yeah. One was live. We made the first one, then did a live album, then did another one, and the last one was 13 years ago. Wow. <laughs> so we just did this new one. Oh, cool. Larry's not even on it. But, uh, you know, we're a trio. Jing Chi is Vinny, yeah. Jimmy Haslip, and me. Uh -huh. That's a great and lineup. The few times that we've gone out, we've we've, you know wanted some support so that we could play just a little broader thing than a guitar trio, you know, rock and blues band, you know. Uh, and I'm not the heavy-duty fusion guy, Yeah, you know. I like playing songs. And um, so we bring in a keyboard player. We, the first time we went to Japan, Mike Landau joined us. Oh, we had oh, keyboards yeah. and Mike. Oh, great. It was great. Wow. Yeah. I love playing with other guitar players. Yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> That's cool. So, and no America dates. Mm -mm. We're doing the Japanese thing because we all have history over there. Yeah. You know, nobody knows who Jing Chi is in the United States. No. You know, nobody, but, does, nobody knows. Now, why, why are you teasing us like this, Robin? <laughs> why is it <laughs> happening here? Well. That would be such a bad again, idea. Again, no one would know who it was, you know. People don't advertise anymore, you know yeah, what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. It's the name of the group. Yeah. Jing Chi. People are going to think we're Chinese. What, you know? what, is, what, what does that actually mean? Jing uh, Chi, um, it is Chinese, and it, ref it means vital energy. Jing oh. is vital, Chi mm -hmm. uh, is Qi. energy, mm -hmm. vital energy. So it's the energy that brings you into the world, it's the energy that supports you, you know, throughout your life. And uh, it's related to sexual energy, of course, and... Um, it just it just seemed to fit to me. Uh -huh. I I came up with the name. I'm kind of interested in qigong and tai chi right. and things like that, and have read a lot about it. And um, so I, I just that's, I thought it was cool, and the guys liked it. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Oh man, so we're gonna fly to China to see this. Mm -hmm. No, Tokyo. Tokyo. Oh, to you're going to Japan. We are going to play Beijing as well. Oh wow. No, I'm sorry, we're not. We d we decided not to do that. Okay. And there's a big following over there? Well, again, 
you know, in Japan, it's like they, they know us individually. Yeah. yeah. I mean, right. and, and they advertise. Yes. Well, it's the blue they notes. They take care of business. Oh, uh, okay. People right. look and they go, they know that it's going to be all of us, you know. So they're coming right. to see us. Right. But, but they would know you guys here, right? Yeah, I mean, visually to some you'd, degree, but you'd, no. ha- you'd have to kind of do a whole marketing campaign. It's a lot of work, but yeah, I'm sure if you, you and Vinny and Jimmy and Larry played somewhere, it'd be, it'd be packed. It would do well, yeah. but somebody's got to do some work, and no one likes to do that over here. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, I'm the only guy in the group who has a, an individual name. Yeah, as an international artist. Right. Yeah, like yourself. Right. You know, they well, know you. Yeah. So that's what they used in the U.S. when we played here. Right. And it was, so it, it became kind of was the kind of Robin bugged. Ford band. It became the Robin Ford band, and that wasn't the idea. Right. But it was like, oh, shit. Yeah. yeah. But everybody didn't want gigs. Everybody's, you know, everybody's cool. Are you, are you singing in that, Robin? Mm-mm. No, just all... It's an instrumental, instrumental. group. Yeah, check it out. Like, I will, man. The new record is called Supremo. Supremo? Okay. And... Uh, it it uh, was conceptually different from the other records, and uh, we we used horns a lot. Oh. But I'm talking about a trumpet and a tenor, and they did oh, some. Oh, you not like a horn section. Not a big band. No. Yeah. Yep. So basically, it's a rhythm and blues band, you know. Great songs, more songs. Yeah. You know? yeah. But Amen. instrumental songs. Amen. Amen yeah. for songs. You know, that's what's <laughs> one thing. Couldn't agree more. I've always, I think that's why I've liked your playing so much over the years, because you are song based. Yeah. It doesn't seem a lot of players. I seem it. It's almost like they've written the song around the guitar solo parts. They have. Yeah, and it gets a little. Uh, yeah, you know, it's just a setup for another bunch yeah. of notes. Yeah. yeah, but when you have songs, I mean, that just takes it to another level. You can be engaged. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because I've been on this tear. I I teach at the university, and mm-hmm. I got these amazing young jazz talents. Mm-hmm. Amazing. These kids, you know, of course, you're getting kids coming out of the YouTube generation. They've heard everything like that we had to go find in record stores mm-hmm. and dig like a mole or a gopher to find. And you're talking about jazz musicians. The kids, you know, they kid, they've heard every guitar player. They've, you know, ripped, you know, they've transcribed, you know, I mean, it's just, it's all there for you now, just right on your computer. So mm-hmm. they, they're playing a lot of stuff. <laughs> But, yep. but uh, you know, what's really interesting is somehow the idea of playing jazz has become, it's obvious to me from listening to these guys, playing shit over changes. Mm-hmm. You know, it's basically <laughs> like these changes exist and I can play all this shit, and, you know, like over them. Kurt Rosenwinkel did this and, you know, George Benson does this and, and, and you know, and Wes did this and, you know, and Charlie Parker did this, you know what I mean? It's like this, they're just like basically making sausage. These chords exist. They don't even know actually the melody of the song they're playing in most cases because usually the horn player plays it, you know, yeah. they're just reading a real book or something. Right. And they got these changes and they're just shoving shit in like sausage. It's yeah. like making sausage. <laughs> yeah. And like, and you know, I've been working with these, particularly we've doing this one thing, this one thing where we put the vocalists and the guitar players together to do duos. Mm-hmm. And you know, of course now... I'm sorry, you said vocalists. Vocalists and guitar and players. And guitarists to do duos. Okay. To do duet, yeah. you know, and they're going to the do... Two. Just two. No rhythm section. Mm-hmm. And of course, the kids go to play after they've accompanied the vocalists for their chorus or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's like they go to play as if they've got a piano, bass, and drums behind them, and they're just, you know, just 
ramming over the changes. But I mean, really impressively. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I, real, I finally realized, I said, you know, guys, I said, you know, your idea of playing jazz is playing shit over changes, right? <laughs> <laughs> and and they, they, they kind of said, yeah, of course. I mean, that's what else Isn't is Isn't that it? what it is? What is it? Yeah. <laughs> and I said, uh, can I suggest another idea? And they said, sure. You know, I mean, I'm their teacher, you know, that's what I came here for. It's like, mm -hmm. I said, how about playing the song? Mm -hmm. And they, like, the whole idea was shocking to them. And I said, and you know, like, the guys like Michael Brecker and Charlie Parker and all these guys that you're in, in West Montgomery that you're, like, pulling all that stuff off the records of, I said, they're actually playing the song? Mm-hmm. Just go, let, let's listen back. And I'd pull out a record. And, like, they realize they can hear the song the whole way through. And right. They, and it all makes sense. And it's like... It's not about this lick here, this lick here, this scale here, this, you know. I mean, they don't even really get that they're playing songs. Right. I mean, of course, in jazz, you know, mm -hmm. obviously, if you're more in an R&B kind of world, the song is stronger and more relevant because to a kid because it's newer. <clears throat> yeah, you but know, I would it's, think it's closer to our generation. But I would think that would really depend upon what they're listening to. Exactly. You listen to a Louis Armstrong record, right? Or, you know but what I mean? you like, know, they're they're not. <laughs> no, they're not. But they should. <laughs> I don't. I can only you know suggest it. You know, I can't make them do it. It can't be like a puppy where you hold their nose down in a pile of shit. But uh, <laughs> but you know, it's like uh, I really I just said to him, you know, imagine this. I know that. When you play a gig or a session, don't you feel like you play the same shit over and over again? Mm -hmm. They go, yeah. And I says, you want to stop that? And they go, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you want to stop that? And I, and I said, well, just play the song. Uh -huh. If every song is different, you can't play the same thing over and over because the song is different. Yeah. And it's impossible yeah. to play the same thing. And they're kind of like, and then I'll pull out something that they think is really running the changes like Charlie Parker over Cherokee or something. Mm -hmm. And I'll play it for them. And I'll go, listen to this. Don't you hear the song in there? Mm -hmm. All the time? It's as if all that stuff that you've been making such a big deal out of is just a bunch of ornaments. Mm -hmm. And the tree is the song. Mm -hmm. And without that song, without that tree, those ornaments would just fall to the ground. They wouldn't be anything. Yeah, they'd become meaningless. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, the songs, man, I, I'm, a, I'm with you on that. I just... I've just finally kind of, I don't know, maybe I'm getting old and tired of listening to a bunch of wanking, but... <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, another interesting, potentially interesting way of looking at that, like for people who kind of maybe don't even get that, right. even that, they yeah. they might kind of go, what do you mean, the song? I, yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. Yeah, that could be a mysterious element. Yeah, right, yeah.
But um, so a quote that I read from Paul Desmond, uh, you know, he said, you know, when Charlie Parker hit the scene, everybody wanted to play like Charlie Parker. I mean, just period. Right. And he said everybody was playing like Charlie Parker, including himself, you know. Uh-huh. And then he went, I'm just doing Charlie Parker. I'm not doing anything that's, you know, kind of personal. So he said, you know, so what I decided to do was um, make my playing about melodic inventiveness. Melodic inventiveness, right. you know. So yeah. it's like the composer, you know, you may not know that you're playing a song that's already been written that you could actually play that song. Right. Or, you know, you could also write your own song. Right. You know, in the midst of that. Well, whatever. that's what you end up doing. Yes, But of you course. have a... Just your, a way of your, looking your, your at Your basis it. point, you can look at it like, okay, I have these chords and I'm going to play these things over it, or I've got this song and I'm going to elaborate on this song to the point where I have motifs that I'm going to take and I'm going to rewrite the song or write a new song over this song, mm-hmm. but it's all the song. It's, mm-hmm. you know, what makes it a song? A melody basically is sequence. That really what makes things melodic to our ears. You take any song you love, you know, autumn leaves, it's the repetitive sequence that gives it, you know, a motif the development. Thread. You know, yeah. or yesterday. Da 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 da. Yeah. I mean, rhythmic motif. It's like the, sometimes it's rhythmic, sometimes it's intervallic. Mm-hmm. So it's all these very. Sometimes it's like mirroring itself, mm-hmm. but it's sequential in nature, which which means like when you go to improvise, if you want to be melodic, the first thing is you kind of have to pay attention to what you're playing. Right. You have to actually listen to yourself mm-hmm. so that you can utilize some of the DNA of what you're playing now, as you continue to tell your story. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you're just doing a litany of licks shoved in, it's basically you're playing a new solo every time you finish the lick. You finish a lick, now i got a new solo, I'm going to put this one in. Now I'm going to do it. And that's what it kind of sounds like, 50 sure. solos a chorus. Sure, you know? sure. To me. Well, I mean, and of course, I'm listening to a lot of that. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it's amazing. <clears throat> no playing. doubt. Amazing playing. You know, the level of... Of young people, like when we were in New Zealand, those mm-hmm. kids that we heard, yeah, it. you know, think about how young they were and, yeah. and how much breadth of <clears throat> ability they had across yeah. the spectrum. Yeah. Hmm. Are you are you still singing a lot? Is that my still, gig? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Still big love for the vocal. It, well, you know, it, it's what I chose actually uh, personally. You know, you, you kind of have to make choices. Like, yeah. h- how, are, how are you going to progress? Because you can't do it all. Nobody can. Yeah. And um, so rather than, you know, try to expand my language, uh, you know, what, what's vocabulary, shall we say. Yeah. As an instrumentalist, I decided to focus on writing songs. Yeah. And presenting them, you know. So the journey for me, you know... S- for quite some time now, you know, once I made that kind of decision, you know, and lyrics, right? Yeah. Lyric writing. So that in itself is a whole new, you know, thing to start working on. Like, so I wrote shitty songs for 10 years, you yeah. know, hopefully yeah. not really shitty, but they were just, they were the songs that I wrote to learn. <laughs> and was it for you? Was it, um, 
like, all right, now I'm going to... Uh, did you always sing? Like, did that come together with the guitar? Uh, you know, I mean, I, I always... Like anybody, it kind yeah. of always sings. Yeah, yeah. But I, I knew that I wasn't a great singer, you know, so... I, I didn't want to be the singer in the band. I had to be because nobody else could sing at all or, yeah. would, or would do it. Yeah. So I, I, I've done it a lot, but I was never really very good. And um, so, you know, started taking voice lessons, started writing my own songs, started like manning up on the bandstands, like, okay, how are you going to deliver this song, you know? Yeah. Like, so maybe you, you start engaging your hands a little bit, you know, the whole thing. Yeah. And... Uh, Kind of gives me a whole new respect for the performer. Yeah. But yeah. really, uh, you know, I, I, I kind of knew all of that stuff as a guitar player. Yeah. But to do it as a singer was, you know, like scared to death, you know, to do what I do on the guitar without fear. <laughs> In other words, standing on a bandstand, I'm not afraid of anything. Yeah. Just doing it. Yeah. <laughs> Movement, everything. Yeah. I'll get on my knees, you know. I yeah. really... I, I, yeah. I'm I'm cool, you know, it'll be right. all right, whatever. Yeah. But to do that as a singer, it's like, whoo, terrifying. Whole, whole ball game. And I'm still working at that, just like confidence level. Yeah. Of, well, I, I got to say, man, I heard you, you know, with the big band over there in New Zealand. We were on tour and it was very, I, I enjoyed it very much. It was great. It was Thank very you. impressive. Thank I, you. Man. The, the, you know, I mean, your guitar playing from my whole life, I've admired it. So, I mean... But to hear your singing at at that level, well, I am deeply it, flattered. It was it was really. I remember saying that mm -hmm. to everybody right after the concert. It was like, wow, awesome you know? man, thank you. And I mean, I'm trying to go. Well, I'm not trying to. I, I I'm a lost cause singer. I'm a comedy guy. I uh -huh. do comedy, so that that means that I I can be a lost cause and still do it. You know, because I can make the make the story happen. Yes. Even though the equipment's not really <laughs> functioning at full level. Well, you see, so I would I would say to you, yeah, you could just take that right into other genres, right. other well, other yeah, ways, and that's what I do. You yeah. know, okay, I, that's what I do. I'm not going to give up, man. I, you know, <laughs> life is a growth thing. Yeah, I did have I I, I did have I, I don't think I've told this on Guitar Wing, so uh, I did want to take lessons mm -hmm. I, you know i had this really there's this great singing teacher who i won't mention who they are because and uh they came to my gig with my band and i was sing, you know i sing like these comedy songs i usually do one a set but mm -hmm. i had the singer there and they they were there to like kind of take me on as a student and want to check me out and so i like kind of hogged the show did like three or four tunes mm -hmm. you know and after the break i went to the bar and we were having a beer, and they said to me, they said, I'm not going to take you on as a student. Mm -hmm. And I said, why not? And they said, because, like, don't take this the wrong way. Yeah, <laughs> right, don't take this the wrong way. <laughs> they said, but, you know, what you're doing is really working. Uh -huh. And if I am taught you, I'd be ha you'd be thinking about where your voice is, you know, like where your sound cavity is what, yeah. you, what your technique's doing mm -hmm. and I'm afraid that you would lose what you have what you've got going there I mean yeah. and, and they said and they said how old are you and I was like about 58 at the time 
Yeah. So about 58, and they said, let's, let's face it, you're not young, and mm-hmm. you weren't really blessed with a great instrument, so like, why do you want to do that? Just keep doing what you're doing, mm-hmm. and just it'll get better. <clears throat> mm-hmm. It was like, it was like, I said that this is the nicest kiss off I've ever gotten. <laughs> yeah, right, right. I mean, it was like somebody telling you a, a lost cause, but in the nicest way possible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, I mean, why am I doing? I mean, the question they even asked, "Why are you doing this?" And I said, "Cause I love it. This is, that's why you keep doing it." Yeah, right. Well, yeah, I hear you. Was yours a necessity? Because I mean, I grew up, and all my a lot of my favorite guitar players were the leaders. They sang. Mm-hmm. They kind of they did everything. They held yeah. their own. Yeah. Did you kind of grow up like that? Like, oh man, I'm I'm playing all this guitar stuff, but I really want to do that too. Was that or was no. it more a necessity? It was a necessity. Yeah, I didn't want to do it. No, I would have much rather been the guitar player in a band that I really dug. Right, that's yeah. what I wanted. That's what I've always wanted. That's still what I want. <laughs> right, and <laughs> nothing you can join has my changed. Band. <laughs> <laughs> well. I'll, I'll take you. Like, you know, a band with, <laughs> you guys don't play loud enough. Like a, a band with great songs. Well, I got a dumb, I've got a dumble coming now, man. That's maybe, right. Maybe, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll make the club here. So, so a band with great songs, a yeah. great lead singer, great frontman, and you right. just deal with the guitar stuff. And, oh, man, I would yeah. love that right. shit. Wouldn't that have been the, the be-all and end-all? I think most guitarists have probably fallen in that boat. No kidding. Yeah. Well, most instrumentalists. I mean, yeah. like... You you have to have, you know. Well, that's not. I was about to say you have to have a pretty big ego to be a singer and stand in front of a band and do that thing. That's not true. Mm-hmm. You know, a, a singer just happens to be a singer, and some of them have more confidence yeah. than others. It's the confidence factor that makes all the difference. Yeah. yeah. So you think of Tom Jones. I just think I'm so glad that Tom Jones was born. Yeah. Right. You, yeah. Know, you do that, dude. Yeah. <laughs> you know? right. Uh, or you know, but then you look at Joe Cocker, and I feel exactly the same way about him. But uh, he was not comfortable on a no. bandstand, man. No. He's my, like, oh shit, I have to do this. Yeah, right. <laughs> my friend played with Joe for the last fifteen, oh, twenty yeah, years. Gene? Gene Black, yeah. Oh, I, I didn't know. He you said knew first him. gig he played with, he was like, "Why yeah. is Joe running off stage in between?" Just throwing up, throwing up. Yeah, it's just like, yeah, oh, man, I, and what a I talent. Didn't know you knew I mean, Gene. that guy's a, yeah. was one of the best. Mm. so um yeah it's it's nerve-wracking and having that lack of confidence can so throw you so quickly yeah but when you're in it and you have that confidence mm-hmm. your vocals go to that next level and you're like oh man i can do this that that's and right a, that and a good yeah. monitor yeah. yeah sound yeah boy man you know i know that i'm i know how much better well of course yeah i know how much better i am if i have a good monitor in front of me Oh yeah, I can dial in the pitch and dial in my tone or whatever. You know, it just I can c- control inflection to such a way, you know that. Yeah, you can hear. And of course, I you know don't have that really generally. Are you a guitar player, Troy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, yeah, Troy. Yeah, 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 really yeah I'm a guitar player. player. I toured with. Um, did a little bit with Wilson Phillips, and then I was back in the day with a band that was on Indescope Records called mm-hmm. Tattoo. Mm-hmm. And we got to tour the world, and yeah, it was it was pop rock stuff. Trevor Horn, <laughs> Sting played on it, and they had so the first album was really, really, really cool stuff. I was just blessed, man, that I was traveling the world and playing guitar. It was mm-hmm. like I achieved my dream, and yeah, did that. And now I have a company that does music for tr- TV and trailers and movies. Mm-hmm. 
So I do a lot of that kind of music, um, mm-hmm. yeah, and write, record, and do my own stuff and, right. and all that. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, you, I've all... you have a tracking room here at the studio. This is it. Yeah, okay. yeah. I just wanted a live room. Yeah. You know, so um, I pretty much drums. I don't record drums here. Okay. So yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. And a lot of the stuff I do is more in the box, especially for the trailer stuff, because they sure. want those big. Mm-hmm. You know, you need that yeah, big, sound. the big drums. So um, yeah. a lot of it's you know different programs and stuff. But um, you get the big drum sound in the box. Yeah, yeah, in the box. <laughs> they they do all the everything's hard work. Everything's in the box. Everything's in the box. You know, I mean, the pizzas are in the box. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. everything's in a box. <laughs> so, but yeah, like doing that vocal thing, I've always uh-huh. had that wanted to be the front guy, but yeah, the lack of confidence because I grew up. You wanted to be the front guy. Well. A little bit of necessity too, because lead singers were always a pain in the ass to deal with. That's another right? a- uh, aspect, yeah. And it was just like, oh, damn it, I'll do it, because you're sick something. of dealing with their shit. Not something. It's, it's like one little thing in your life kind of makes the turn, too. You know what I yeah. you know that is? Like, they were paying me not to sing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I made more money not singing than singing. So uh, well, I just want to. Well, when I grew up, uh-huh. before the grunge scene hit, like, I was listening to Mr. Mr. and Toto and Richard Marks, and all those cats had phenomenal vocals. Yeah. They were all incredible singers. This is all the music coming out of L.A. you're talking yeah. about. Yeah, and uh, that's what I listened we to. We built this city yeah. on rock and rock roll. Rock and roll, right? <laughs> kind of thing, yeah. And then that's when I was trying to become a singer. So my ego, or lack of ego, or lack of confidence in comparing myself to those kind of cats and yeah. not getting there. Yeah. And then the grunge scene hit, and by then I was already... Then you didn't have to sing anymore. I didn't have to sing. <laughs> and I was like, oh, man. Once the grunge scene hit. <laughs> that was like, yeah. So well, whatever it is, you know, you have to be fierce about it, right? Yeah. Whatever yeah. it is that you want to accomplish, you have to be... Exactly. Absolutely that, fierce about it. Yeah. I love that word, fierce. Yeah. I love that. That's I mean, I always word. use the word commit. I like fierce better. Yeah. Yeah, because you have to... It's sort of like battle, war. Yeah. 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 You have so to treat it that way. You're into... You said Tai Chi. Let me say this before yep. I forget if I can quote it. Because I just saw this quote two days ago. Duke Ellington said, It's murder playing music. He says, You approach music as if you're going, uh, as someone who's going to commit something. Yeah. So exactly. you use the word commit. That's, yeah. Oh, wow. So he, he's like, That's how serious about it, right? You know what I'm saying? Actually, yeah. I'm going to drain this before I put uh, that beautiful okay. thing in there. Wow. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that is that is how deadly serious the whole thing is. Oh, yeah, it's, man. Yeah. The world's, world's against you. <laughs> the world's against you. Well, I just think that's what it takes. <laughs> yeah, it does. In, that's like, in, a, in the career sense, it feels that way. But just in terms of, like, you getting your act together, that's all you. I know. Right? Yeah, you yeah. know? So you're just fighting your own demons. Yeah. But that's the beautiful thing that's about you, it. I mean, I chopped really... their heads off, man. Yeah. <laughs> but when, when I was listening to all those albums, the Blue Line and all that stuff you did back then, mm-hmm. man, I just thought your vocals were fucking killing. Really? Yeah. Like the Blue man. Line, man. Wow. Oh, and thank talk, you because I was talk to your daughter and all that kind of stuff, man. Back then, it well, was I, like again, deeply flattered. Thank you. It was <laughs> like that was the last thing I would have thought. I thought it was like, oh, this guy's just an amazing guitar player, and he was blessed with a good voice, oh, and no. it all worked together. I've I've worked so hard at my voice, yeah, and, and I still just have 
the pea shooter that I have today, you know. That's how I feel about it. <laughs> well, Stevie Ray Vaughan was the same. He didn't like his voice either, apparently. He wasn't a fan of his own vocal, and Hendrix wasn't a fan of his vocal. And... No. Stevie actually was a better singer than Hendrix from the point yeah. of view of having his chop together. Yep. But uh, Roscoe Beck, you know who Roscoe? Yeah. He was a yep. bass player for I Mike. I saw you with Roscoe, you yeah. guys, yeah. With the blue line. He grew up with Stevie, you yeah. know. I mean, they played together as teenagers and everything. Wow. And he said that Stevie worked on his singing as hard as he worked on his guitar playing. Really? From a teenager. You wow. know, he was listening to Ray Charles records. He was like, tr he wanted to get that sound. So he was working on it like that. I, mean, yep. I never did that, you know. Yeah. He didn't take voice lessons. He just went, he did the same thing with his voice that he was doing with his guitar. guitar. Right. And I would say that I would put them kind of side by side. Yeah, he had an amazing voice. He, like, just passion. Yeah. He was just all passion. I mean, again, to me, just like his guitar playing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Did you did you ever play with Stevie? No. No. Did you see him a lot? No. 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 I wasn't into it. Yeah. Know? It was a different thing. Yeah. I mean, like, to, to me, he sounded like Albert King and Jimi Hendrix, you know, which is what I grew up on. Right. Just yeah. like he did. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so I, I would rather listen to Jimi Hendrix and Albert King. Yeah. Yeah. That's I've always been like that. Yeah. Somebody sounds like Coltrane. Well, I'd rather listen to Coltrane. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Makes sense, man. Amen. Yeah. How about... How about... Sounding like yourself, like uh, developing your own style. Uh-huh. What would you have to say about that, Bruce Foreman? Wow. Whoa. <laughs> me? You're asking me. I um, am. <laughs> you know, I... How? A person how, develops how? Okay, like, let's help people do it, right? That kind of thing. Yeah, because um, that's kind of my job. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I, I've been cashing the checks, so I sh should have an answer for this. Uh, <laughs> well, um, no, no, what I do is like... Uh, may I interrupt? Sure. Just briefly, because yeah. you've, you've learned how to teach, Yeah. you know, so that is a chop that you have. Right. But before you knew how to teach, you weren't thinking about it that no, way. No, no. So... I, How do you think you came okay. to have your well, own style? I was really lucky to have great mentors. Okay. That's the first thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and I Teachers. Grew up, I, and I grew up in a great place. Mm -hmm. Where was that? San Francisco. Okay. Matter of fact, uh, I was in high school. I remember this vividly, vividly. I was at Keystone Corner, and I went to hear... Jimmy Witherspoon and your uh, band was backing him up. Yeah. I remember that and uh, how much I was moved and loved what I heard. And I didn't know who you were at that moment. I'd, I'd never I. heard of Robin. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know. I'd never heard your name before. Nobody had. <laughs> and uh, well, okay. Well, so. Um, <laughs> that was my first you know, break. And I, I was already, you know, I'm 16, so I was kind of well on the way of my bebop. You know, worldview. Uh -huh. You know, straight ahead jazz worldview. Mm -hmm. And uh, I heard you with Spoon, and uh, I was so amazed by uh, you guys played a little bit up front before Spoon came out, mm -hmm. and you did like some kind of modern jazzish type thing like yeah. you you told some like poetry or something i don't know if you remember this but you like said some shit you know like the, oh. and the wind through the trees oh, or no. some kind of thing like <laughs> no that. that's uh that actually was a 
kind of a, a Jesus song. Oh, okay, whatever. I was a you, okay, you kind of like came up with like some conceptual yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. The band played it. You all played Sunrise. Right. The song's called okay, Sunrise. Okay, so there wow. you go. You see, I'm pulling this shit out of my mm-hmm. back pocket here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Actually, a little further in, but <laughs> and. Uh, and That's it was amazing. So great. You remember that? It was so great. And then you with Spoon, and you're playing that Super Four Hundred, and it was Russell, and it was Jim Shantelope, I think, and Stan Poplin mm-hmm. would be my guess. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And just I was so moved by mostly you know you, but it was just your way of elevating the bandstand when you play. No, oh, thank you. That was like you know your your ability to like conceive a solo, an improvisational section that you were the leader of the solo, I guess that's called, and to really tell a story and to elevate the bandstand to that degree was you know really so moving for me and and influential. Wow. And uh, but back to the development of style. Yeah. Which I, that was just a sidetrack. I just wanted to say that at some point tonight because I still remember that. You know, there's moments in your life that really affected awesome. you as a human. Well, you thank know. you. And um, I was lucky to have great mentors, teachers, whatever you want to call them, guys I played with mm-hmm. who really were sticklers for... This was back before the jazz education thing was cool. Yeah. It was back in the older days where these guys like... I got my shit, you get your shit, kind of thing. You know, they were all stealing from each other, but it wasn't like we would talk about it and share it. Yeah. It was like, hey, you just, you, you just heard me. <laughs> yeah. And tape. What do you and, need? Yeah, yeah. You're sitting right there, and I just played it. If you don't know what it is, then you go figure it out yourself, right. you know? And it was like, it was almost uncool to talk about it. It was mm-hmm. like magic. We all have our magic. Yes. And, and, and everybody, I mean, the guys I knew, some were famous and some no one's ever heard of still who were great. Uh, their playing was such a reflection of who they were as a person. Mm-hmm. Mm. Like the erratic guys played erratically mm. and, the, and the guys who were always dressed nicely and you know their instruments were in perfect shape. They always played like... like and they you kind of ra- noticed they, these they were, Yeah, they were wrapping presents up every four bars. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, it was yeah, like yeah. handing it to you right. with a bow on it. Like you know? Jimmy, um, you know, And one guy's like, you know, he's drunk and at the bar and doing a bunch of shit and chasing women and like his playing was like chaotic like that and another mm-hmm. guy was like everybody mm-hmm. had their personality which was in the thing and there were numerous times like where I would kind of go down a road of trying to emulate something and I would get shit for it mm-hmm I mean, there's one moment where I was playing did you know Richard Dorsey in the Bay Area the no. organ player he was kind of a very flamboyant uh early gay scene church organ player you know mm-hmm. kind of like little richard but meets mm-hmm. jimmy smith uh-huh sort of put those two together right you can do that yeah and uh <laughs> no it was and he would wear these sequin gowns and stuff oh and really yeah, he liberace was just, well yeah he called himself something else but it was just like that right and uh and um one day i was playing on the gig and i must have been just totally like out on Wes. I was just listening to the yeah. Wes and playing with my octaves and playing with my thumb and uh-huh. just doing the whole thing. And I'm playing on the gig and I guess I just kind of... How old were you? 17. You're a teenager. 16, 17. Uh-huh. And um, 
And we're playing a tune. And like in the middle of the tune, he stops playing. And then, of course, the drummer stopped, you know. And like, but it wasn't stopping like at the top of the chorus where it could have been stopped. Yeah, he just time. stopped. You know, it was just sort of a mutiny. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I'm playing and out. I'm going to like, should I keep playing or should I not? Yeah. No, I should probably stop. <laughs> and I stopped and he looked at me, you know, and we're in a club full of people mm. partying. And he says to me, he says, you know, Bruce, I hired you. I didn't hire Wes Montgomery. Mm-hmm. If you want to play with your West Montgomery records, you can go home now and play with them. But I hired you. I want you to play your thing. Mm. I need you here right now. So what do you want to do? Mm. Do you want to play or do you want to go home? Mm. <laughs> it was like, you know, what do you do when you're 16 or 17 and somebody says, in front of people, you know? Can't even believe it. That is the most hardcore shit I ever heard, man. You know, and, <laughs> That's and some like, rough shit, man. I know, and it's like, I want to play. Okay, <laughs> boom, you know, it's like I, put <laughs> the pick, I pulled the pick out. The that man was, the was making that, an you know? impression, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, <laughs> you know, and it was like, uh, and of course I went looking for him on the break wanting to like, Yell at him never to do that to oh, me really? again, or, or, or maybe to apologize. I don't know what I was looking for, okay. or to explain myself. Yeah, yeah, I don't know what I or hit him. Right. I don't know what I would have done, but he yeah. knew that you were looking he, for. He him. was gone. Oh, he was nowhere to be found until the downbeat of the next set. Is that right? And by the end of that next set, everything was cool. Everything was all right. Yeah, but you know that was kind of the pervasive attitude. Mm. You know, they so you got grew their up shit, they it. got their shit, mm-hmm. you got, you got it. So that was always, and I had another guy named Donald Bailey who was like, one. I think like... The drummer. Yeah, yeah. Duck. And uh, he, I was, in, we were in bands together and he always mentored me and he was always on me to come up with new shit, you know, and he was doing the same, he was, by example, he was doing the same thing. I mean, he was like a Thelonious Monk kind of guy. I, I mean, dig- the way he played the drums... Nobody else played the way that it. way, and yet the most conventional jazz artists still hired him. Jimmy Smith had him in his band for years. Mm-hmm. Carmen McRae had him in his band for years. Mm-hmm. Gene Harris and the Three Sounds he was in. Like those are like mm-hmm. iconic conventional players, and they let this guy who's like whacked to the moon play because he just had it. He made it work so uh-huh. well in another way. Right, and um. And so I, I had guys like that. And so that's always been sort of, that's what jazz means to me. Mm-hmm. And so now being the teacher guy, how do I... I still don't think that you've said why, how you got to your, your own personal style. Oh, to my own, well, it's just, I think it's just a combination of my background, my perspective, my aesthetic my skill set and my resources and and you okay. know okay so it was a combination of all these things yeah creativity is really not something that happens like a lightning strikes to you creativity mm-hmm. happens because you're forced to be creative mm-hmm. you get in a situation and you have to make it work mm-hmm. or you or you you go play and you know you've played the same shit for three weeks, and you're like tired of it, so you just force yourself to do something different, and that's the moment you're creative, because then you have to dig deep, yeah, and you have to be vulnerable and willing to make a mistake, mm-hmm. and you have to really put yourself out on the edge because you're not going to let yourself do what you know you can do. You want to find the new thing, and so to me, I that's and yeah, it's it's just based on things I like, things I've grown up with, and. Uh, 
and things that I've had to go through. Mm-hmm. And of course, basically my worldview. You know, like now what I'm doing, I'm That's kind of... That's too vast for me. You know, but no, but <laughs> it's like, I mean, now I'm doing this one-man show where I'm a storyteller and a comedian and a musician all at once. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, where did that all come? Well, that came from Donald Bailey, I'm sure, you know, but he was the one that pushed me out on that limb. Okay. So it was, like it was being pushed out on a limb. Yeah. That's what you, how you would answer that question. I guess so. Yeah. I yeah. think we've distilled it. Okay. Thank you. That's where it is. Because I know I, can, I, I talk a lot. So that I can thank understand. You. Thank you. Now, what, what about you? Um, I didn't listen to guitar players. <laughs> I didn't like them either. That to me is what. To me, that's what makes the difference. Yeah, I mean, you know, for, if you me heard personally. me, you'll hear more Charlie Parker than you'll hear any guitar player, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess, and that, and that's, you know, Scott, who does the show with us when he, when he does, <laughs> um, that's what he says, same thing. Scott. Scott Henderson. Oh. He's on the show a lot. You and know, I played a gig. Uh, it was, actually, I didn't play... I went to see a gig because I had left the Yellow Jackets. Uh-huh. <clears throat> Pardon me. And uh can't remember if they now had a... I think they now had a tenor player. Right. They tried Mike Miller on guitar for a minute and then they just... They wanted something else. Right. So they started... They moved towards saxophone. And um, the, the gig was opened by uh, Scott Henderson. And when I drove up into the parking lot... You know, I I went there early to hang out with my friends, you know. And um, Scott pulled up and he was listening to a Wayne Shorter record from the Blue Note period. Right, right. Which is, you know, that that was Bible for me, you know. Wayne Shorter, like Juju and Adam's Apple and those records, you know. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, okay, you know. He's he's the same kind of guy. Right. He's coming from tenor players. Right, right. <laughs> so I thought that was cool. I, I've never had quite that, I don't know, that kind of a moment where I, I saw this kindred, uh, you know, like uh, you listen to other things and that is how you can sound different because you're playing the same things basically, well, but yeah. you're approaching it like a saxophone player. So that really well, was that's big, always been uh, my yeah. thing. P- yep. and piano too. I'm, I'm like Winton Kelly and Bill Evans and I think that is a that's something a lot of guitar that's players a lot of my stuff. But you know, I mean, with my kids, what's happened in the world because of the technology is the ability to exactly copy somebody. You know what I mean? The ability to really trans what they call transcribe. Oh my god. You know, is so easy now. You just go on YouTube and you isolate it and you you know what I mean? And you, you don't have to burn it, you don't have to ruin your record. <laughs> you know, you don't have to slow it down. You don't have oh, to do too bad. You know, no, but I mean, you know <laughs> you don't have to listen to it eight hundred times, learn to sing it and then play it. You know, you just kinda can pull it right off. And what, what that saying. does sure. is it creates a detailed approach to stylistic development. Yeah, the technique has become the, the art form. Right. And and so instead and, of the and art I try form. To point out to them it's like Oscar Peterson who I worked with. Holy um, mackerel. Well, no. I mean, I you, no, know, you can't I asked say him, that I asked him this and he even said it he even said it was true. And I still don't believe him. <laughs> but he said, you know, like cuz there's a mythology or whatever lore that he heard Art Tatum 
And like he quit playing for six months, mm-hmm. he claims. And I asked him, I said, come on, that can't be true. And he, he said, yeah, it was true. And, and my guess is maybe he quit playing jazz for six months. He kept playing classical or something, you know, because right. I mean, he was a or classical player. he quit player. playing for six days. He, whatever, you know. <laughs> uh, it felt like six months. <laughs> it felt then, like six months, yeah. And then, uh, anyways, but the thing is, is like, you listen to a guy like Oscar Peterson. And here's, you know, if you know his background, know what he did, he heard Art Tatum. It blew his mind. But he didn't really have the ability to, like, he heard him in a club. You know, he didn't have the ability to like record it and go home and learn it note for note. So he just listened to it and understood, okay, this is what's happening. There's this underlying feeling of, of like a stride thing. And there's a lot of cascading lines, a lot of false modulate. You know, you can hear like just conceptually what's doing. Then you take a guy like Oscar Peterson, who's way more bluesy, way more technically, you know, classically, you know, precise. And then... If you just sort of take conceptually one thing and put it on the other, it makes perfect sense. And it's, if we take people that we dig, whether it's a saxophone or a tuba or a guitar or a washboard, and just sort of filter it through our conceptual process and then add it to our physical attributes, you have style. You've actually, like, it's an addition thing now. This plus this plus this equals this. Mm-hmm. Because you haven't let yourself go down the road of copying. Because mm-hmm. you don't have the ability to copy. And that was, okay. And the reason why I know, I believe this works so much is because uh, I came from a generation where everybody was a gen- was an individual. And even like in the day where everybody was copying Bird, mm-hmm. like Paul Desmond said, Stitt doesn't sound at all like Bird. Well, I would disagree with that. I mean... I, I, I could tell them apart. Exactly I could tell like, them apart, like, right? To me, like black and white. Yeah, because your ear was attuned to it. You know, I mean, I I hear certain similarities, but just nowhere. I just I hear two different people really strongly. I hear bebop music as their common dialect, but I don't hear stylistically the same that I hear Well, Charlie in Parker so invented bebop music. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, no, but yeah, but it's like a language. If you, you know, I mean, a lot of people created that language. Bird synthesized it and made it kind of what we consider the archetypical thing. There are lots of guys playing that shit. Even a little bit before that, some of the ideas that he played... You know that I can trace back to the before bebop even existed. Those, those <clears throat> that vernacular, mm-hmm. and uh, and and those guys all sounded different. You know, and it, well, it, there's a think, sameness frankly, now that's different that could, than, than, than than was then. Well, you, I don't think you could you could be heard if you didn't sound different, right? And I, it wasn't allowed. You know, there was yeah. a time when if you couldn't play or if you didn't have something to say, you were not allowed. Yeah. Now everybody can be heard and that's their mother that's true. and their grandmother. <laughs> oh, that's true. And she, they can probably invoke their great grandmother from the dead by now. <laughs> how does she sound? <laughs> well, terrible. <laughs> well, when did you, Robin, when did, when did it stop, stop being guitar and started being horn players for you? By the time I was probably... 18. And was that, was there a one horn player that particularly stood out? It was John Coltrane. Coltrane, Coltrane. yeah. <laughs> but also Wayne Shorter. Yeah. And is that, do you think that's the, probably a lot where your t- tone 
and you'll see you can, you can, you've got a well, it, signature it's tone. Phrasing. Yeah, and, and sound. Yeah, like I always played on the rhythm pickup. You know, like I kind of always was playing loud. Mm-hmm. Like um, I, you know, was in a you know in high school bands and stuff. Yeah, and at a certain point, I thought I wanted to be a bass player. I moved to the bass, and long story that I won't tell. I wound up with a piggyback Fender basement. Yeah, you know, like early sixties, sixty five probably Fender basement. So I was playing, and I had a, I bought a Vox violin bass, and I was in a, doing that in a band, you know? Right. And um, eventually, I really moved back to the guitar, and so I just plugged into the basement and, and turned it up, and, you know, it, it had an overdriven sound to it kind of right away. Yeah. And I was listening to Coltrane, and um, it's the rhythm pickup sounded closer to the tenor, mm. you know? Yeah. Um. Then the treble pickup, I used to never use the treble pickup. I used a big body guitar and the rhythm thing because I wanted to be a jazz guitar player, but actually I wanted to be John Coltrane. So those those things kind of came together. Eventually, I moved toward the treble pickup, and I used the treble pickup you know, a greater percentage of the time than the rhythm pickup now. Yeah. It's because I wanted it to sound like Miles Davis. Right. <laughs> wow. So it was always kind of like... Trying to get something that was, you know, not what I had heard on the guitar. You know? Right. Yeah. And I heard this about Eric Clapton. Um, for, I, I had heard, read a quote where he said he wanted to sound like a harmonica player. Oh, yeah. But, you know, have you seen this thing? There's an Eric Clapton uh, doc. Yeah. It's on Star... It. 12, 12 Bar Blues or 12 Blues or something. Or 12, I forget what it is. It's amazing. I know what you're saying. Yeah. 12 Bar... Yeah, something 12, like that. Yeah, something like that. It's awesome. It's on... Uh, it's not HBO. It's not Netflix. It's Showtime. Showtime. Yeah. 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 For those who are interested. It's so good. And uh, he was talking about the shanai, mm. which is a double reeded in Indian instrument. Yeah. You know, that's what he was doing with Cream. Wow. Treble pickup. You know, he was trying to sound like the shanai. And uh, Albert Collins, you know, he would hit that like one note and keep it going. Yeah. You know, I just hit that one note for 12 bars, man. (laughs) He wanted to sound like B3 organ. Wow. So, you know, that that just sort of like... That's what all of us are. We're all in our own mind doing that, you know. Something else. You know, I I wanted to be Mike Bloomfield. And when that, when I started getting into listening to Coltrane and jazz and stuff, I wanted to be a tenor player. That's right. So it happened before I hit my 20s, you know. Wow. And yeah, I honestly yeah. think that's a huge part of w- how I develop my own personal oh, totally. voice. What, you know? what would you? What advice would you give to guys trying to trying to develop that? It just seems, I mean, it almost seems like it's all been done. And you could say that I guess any time throughout history, but it just feels like God. It's just that's why listening to a different instrument is, to find you know the way you play. Yeah, it's the answer, man. Right. If you're listening to guitar players to sound like, you know, you want to sound, mm-hmm. you sound like what you play like. Yeah. Pick yeah. any other instrument yeah. and try to sound like that, and you will not sound like anybody else but yourself. <laughs> right. That's how I see it. That makes a lot of sense. I get that. It totally makes a lot of sense. 